Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today's podcast is on Psalm 75. To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a psalm of Asaph, a song. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keeps steady its pillars. Salah. I say to the boastful, do not boast, and to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high, or speak with haughty neck. For not from the east, or from the west, and not from the wilderness comes lifting up. But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of Yahweh there is a cup, with foaming wine well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drink it down to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. This is the word of the Lord. So here's another one of Asaph's psalms for us. And it's to the tune of Do Not Destroy. Not a tune that we know, unfortunately. Asaph, being one of the musicians David appoints over the tabernacle, eventually the temple, to serve it as a Levite. And he sings, and it begins with praise to God, thanksgiving, to the Lord for, we would say, for the Lord is good. He gives thanks to him, and his reason is, for your name is near. The name of Jesus. As the angel tells the Holy Family, you shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And that, then, is a name by which we are called. His name is near to us because his name has been placed upon us in our baptism, where we were called by the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, where the sign of the cross was made both upon our forehead and upon our heart to mark us as one redeemed by Christ the Crucified. This is also a picture given to us in Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. The 144,000 of Revelation, by the way, just a reference to all the faithful of all time. The Old Testament number of God's tribes, 12. The New Testament number of disciples, 12. 12 times 12 is 144 times the number for completion, 10. Times 10 times 10 is how you get to 144,000. So it is simply all the saints, all the faithful of Old and New Testament era. They have written on them the name of Jesus and the name of the Father. We are his, sealed by his name. 
and we then recount his wondrous deeds. This could be a good family conversation for the day to share with one another what wondrous deeds of God you recall. And you can go certainly to some of the Old Testament accounts. Why not? That's what the psalmist would do. Speak of what God has done, how he's rescued his people from of old. The, well, we could even go back to the flood, certainly creation in Genesis. But the Exodus account might be Asaph's primary target. The entering of the promised land and driving out their enemies for them. You might focus on certain victories like Gideon and the 300 who defeat 135,000 Midianite soldiers. Or you might focus on Jesus defeating 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Or David conquering Goliath. Whatever picture you want to look at, certainly. But as Christians, we know we would also want to focus on what Christ has done. His works of his death and his resurrection, that he died to forgive our sins, that he rose again to take away death, to defeat the grave for us. We can talk about his miracles of healing, of raising the dead, how he's promised to do the same for us, but even greater, not just a a resurrection of the body now that lasts for a few more years, but a resurrection of body and soul unto life everlasting. Now, as you go through these kinds of wondrous deeds, also consider together outside of your family. Who are some people you might want to share these wondrous deeds with? You might want to tell about the good works Jesus has done. And see if there's opportunities this week to do it. It doesn't have to be an unbeliever. If you just want to use God's word to encourage grandma and grandpa or your cousin or your friend next door. But it can be an unbeliever as well. This is what we're given to do, to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. So now we have shifted to the Lord who speaks. In the set time that he has appointed, he will judge. Now we could talk about the cross here. That is when judgment comes, but it comes upon Christ instead of upon man, that in Christ our sins have been forgiven because Christ took that punishment upon himself. And we could talk about the end of the world, the last day. When God returns, Christ returns, and we all stand before the judgment throne of God. But we can also talk about those individual moments where God brings judgment in a limited way into this world. He tears down a kingdom to appoint another. He destroys a people in order that those around them would see and repent. Lots of moments of judgment throughout history and will continue until the last day. But he judges with equity, a true equality in judgment. That is, there's no partiality. No one can win the favor of God. He sees man. He sees straight through us. He knows our heart. He knows our mind. And he judges rightly. When the earth totters and its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. 
So we get the picture, the image here of, of an earthquake, really, literally, but just simply the idea that creation is not stable. It is also broken, just as we are broken, and things in this world definitely cause us fear. We shake, we quake. Natural disaster, man-made disaster. We terrify each other. Yet in all of this, the Lord upholds his creation. He keeps it steady. The picture here is literally of him just holding it in place so that it doesn't fall. This is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus Christ upholds the entire universe by the power of his word. If he's upholding it, we cannot take it down. That would be boastful, actually, and that's the next part where God calls the boastful to repent. Now, interestingly enough, in this psalm, the word horn shows up several times, and it's really hard to know how to take the word horn here. Horns, in prophetic language in Scripture, become a symbol for power. But if you're talking simply about an instrument, even an animal's horn can be used as an instrument, for example, the shofar, then you're talking about a celebration. So don't lift up your horn. Don't raise up your power thinking that you are greater than God. On the flip side, though, don't raise up your horn, the instrument. Don't raise up a celebration or a war cry, whatever it may be. Horns had different uses. You'd blow the trumpet for different purposes. Do not lift up your horn on high. Or speak with haughty neck. Haughty, another word for pride. So the the neck that basically stretched out to make a declaration. Standing up straight, tall, looking strong. It just references to pride here in this verse. God calls the prideful to repent. Scripture speaks of pride as a sin. And so the question maybe to discuss as a family, why does our culture think pride is such a good thing? And that is part of our sinful nature. That is part of our rebellion against the Lord. We like to look to ourselves. We like to look to our own works, our own actions. It's how we've been taught. It's how we've been raised. And it's easy for the sinful nature to give in to such temptations, to think that we have done such good things for ourselves, to think that it is by our power, our strength that we stand. And it's not. The Lord calls us to repent. It's not from the east or the west or even the wilderness that comes lifting up. So to be lifted up, exalted, glorified, to have people look at you as you are victorious, as you are strong, as you are mighty, might doesn't come from the east. Here may be a reference to Assyria or Babylon, depending on when the psalm is written. It doesn't come from the west, so crossing the sea on ships We're not historically quite to the point where Rome has the power that they will later on have, nor Greece, but that's coming. 
doesn't come from the wilderness. So some of the various wandering tribes that could cause destruction and chaos. It comes from God. God executes judgment. God is the one who puts down one and lifts another up. Daniel chapter 4 verse 17 as God tells King Nebuchadnezzar that he is the one who establishes the kingdom of man and puts on the throne the lowliest of men. Or, to go to the New Testament, in Luke chapter 14 verses 9 and 10, Jesus has a conversation about when you are invited to a dinner and how you should sit not in the highest place lest somebody of more prominence than you arrives and the host embarrassingly asks you to move to a lower place. Instead, sit yourself in the lowest place and if the host wishes, he can lift you up. He can exalt you in front of everyone. This is the Christian life. We are not to live lives of pride, but lives of humble service. And so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your slave, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Instead, then, verse 8, brings God's judgment. In the hand of Yahweh is a cup with foaming wine well mixed. This isn't a reference to the Lord's Supper. This isn't a reference to Christ's blood shed for us. Nor is it a reference, as Jesus talks about in the New Testament, of the cup that he must drink. At least not quite, because that is a cup of suffering, but it is also the cup of God's wrath. And that is what this is a reference to. Because he pours it out, and the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar with that phrase, that simply means all of it. Um, the dregs are like the little bits at the bottom, if you sometimes have not very well uh, purified or strained, filtered, whatever language you want to use there. And so you've got the little bits at the bottom, you have to drink all of it. This is God's wrath. Revelation chapter 16, verse 19 the great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. Now, in a sense, again, Jesus does drain that cup on the cross at Golgotha. But when he talks with James and John about the cup that they would drink too, it's a reference to his suffering, that they also would suffer and that they would die because of their faith. So this, this is purely God's judgment that is being seen here in verse 8. However, I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off. The horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. Praise to God. Thanks to God. And verse 10, the acknowledgement that those who lift themselves up in this world will be cut off, but those who are humble will be lifted up, will be exalted. And our Lord Jesus Christ says this very thing himself. In Luke chapter 18, verse 14, Jesus says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. There is a great reversal coming. The prideful will be torn down 
those who seek to serve the Lord, those who are willing to love their neighbor and lay down their lives for another, they will be lifted up. As a reference to the last day, to the final judgment, where God will glorify his people by raising us from death unto life. And on that day, the horns of the wicked, whether it's a reference to their power or their celebrations, will be cut off. They will have no more powers. They are cast into hell, and they will certainly not be celebrating there. It is not the picture of hell that our culture gives. Our culture believes Jesus, God, is not fun, but instead that he prevents them from doing the things they want to do. He's a spoiler. And so they think that going to hell will somehow be good, that they can enjoy themselves how they want to. Hell is a prison. It is a terrible place, absent of anything good because it is absent God. No one will enjoy being there. It is judgment. It is an everlasting death. Not as an annihilation, but an ongoingness. Again, whereas though the righteous are lifted up, those who trust in Christ, those who believe, who have faith, which is that word righteous, read the book of Romans, see Paul spell it out. The righteous will live by faith. Abraham believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness. He will lift us up, he will bring us to be with himself in his paradise. And this is why we started as we did back in verse 1 with a possible conversation about who you could share the wondrous deeds of Jesus Christ with because we don't wish this destruction, this judgment of God on anyone. We don't want anyone to have to drink that cup. Christ drank the cup so we don't have to. May our neighbors repent and may the Lord keep us humble that we do not grow prideful that we remain in his fold with him forevermore. Amen.